The full power of the gospel of Jesus Christ is contained in the Book of Mormon, period. And the Book of Mormon is replete with examples of disciples and prophets who knew and understood and were transformed by the enabling power of the atonement. Remember this declaration by Jesus himself. Whoso treasureth up my word shall not be deceived. And in the last days, neither your heart nor your faith will fail you. Welcome everyone to episode 75 of the Book of Mormon podcast. We have... Me, Shelby here, and Kevin here as well, and we have a guest, and we have a get we have a guest virtually joining us, and that is Mr. Paul Anderson, or Brother Anderson, and Hello. we're happy to have you. <laughs> Glad to be here. Thanks yeah. for having me. Yeah, we're excited to have you. Kevin found you on your blog, actually. Yeah. Right. So, so it was I, that was exciting to open um, the the comments from the blog one day and to have an email from someone I'd never met before saying, hey, you want to be on our podcast? And I thought, whoa, <laughs> uh, I've, I've never been on a podcast before. So I, I actually went out and checked out your website and listened to some of your stuff and thought this would be fun. So uh, it's- uh, I'm, I'm glad you said, yeah. I'm glad you said yes. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, we're glad that you're here with us and we're excited to get going. Kevin, you got anything? No, you know, you know me, I just, I'm ready to- dive in. Um, Brother Anderson, is there anything you'd like to add about yourself? Um, please feel free to plug your blog. <laughs> you know, I guess uh, the only things that uh, you probably need to know about me are I studied music in college. I work at a bank. Uh, my wife and I have six kids, two of whom still live at home with us, and the other four are college age. And uh, and I've been studying the Book of Mormon for years and, and really loving it. And uh, for the last six and a half years, about six and a half years ago, I decided, why not make public what I'm learning? And so I started blogging and, uh, and writing what I learned from the Book of Mormon every day. And it's been a great experience. Honestly, it's enhanced my study a lot. And I've met people that you know I wouldn't have otherwise that I've been able to interact with as they react to the blog. And it's been a really good experience. So I appreciate you guys. Um, uh, letting me uh, letting me participate with you in our yeah. Book of Mormon study. Hey, well, you're kind of what Kevin and I aspire to be. Like your <laughs> your goals to us. So I I love it. We're we're glad to have you. <laughs> I don't I don't I don't know if I would say that, but I I'm I'm grateful <laughs> that the three of us could study together today. So sure sure. Well, today we begin the record of Zenith, and we learned a little bit about him last week on uh, on the episode that we did with sister e uh, Egbert um, we covered Mosiah's chapter 7 and 8 and Ammon had come down from the land of Zarahemla they found the people there um, under the the rule of King Limhi and Limhi is a descendant of Zenith. And so now we are turning back in time to learn about how the, uh, the people that Zenith brought with him down to the land of Nephi um, got there and how they got established and, and a bunch of stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, so- yeah. Do you mind if I jump in and just ask a question? Sorry. Absolutely. Uh, and that is, why do you think that Mormon decided to tell the story in this order? You know, you could have gone chronologically, right? If you were a mm -hmm. historian and you were saying, how do I tell the story of my people? Zenith is two generations earlier than Lemhi, obviously, right? And, and right. Lemhi is kind of at the beginning of the reign of King Mosiah. But, you know, the book of Mosiah starts with the very, very end of King Benjamin's reign, right? With all you get basically is his sermon, and then he's done. Mm -hmm. And basically, you've started the reign of King Mosiah, and then you rewind two generations. Why do you think Mormon decided to do it that way? 
An excellent question. <laughs> it really is. Well, if if I could, so there's two things that come to my mind. The first thing that came to my mind whenever you asked, why do you think Mormon did this? Yeah. I was like, man, I, I wish I could be in Mormon's head, yeah. you know, to figure out all the things that he knew and, and perceived about future generations, ours, of course, included. I also think that um, along those same lines, it may have been that the Lord um, impressed upon Mormon that a more complex narrative may appeal to the readership at this time. You know, the kind of, I mean, I, I myself am a creative writer and the use of flashbacks is a literary tool to yeah. garner interest and, and suspense. So it, there could be something like that. Did you, do you have any thoughts? So, so you're that? thinking that just kind of the sophistication of a narrative that isn't just purely linear uh, makes it, makes it more interesting to read, right? Yeah. That, I think that's so. A, that's one thing. You know, another thing that, because I've been thinking about this this week, another thing that occurred to me. So have you guys seen the ballet, The Nutcracker? I have, yes. I, so I I've been think thinking, Kevin has. Oh, you haven't? Okay. So the, and I'm not, I didn't, I won't go into a lot of detail on it, but the ballet starts with a little bit of a story. And then Clara, the main character, goes into like this dream world. Mm -hmm. And for most of the ballet, she and her prince are sitting beside each other, watching a whole bunch of people um, dance. And so it's like a ballet within a ballet. And so I was thinking of, you know, like a play within a play. You watch something differently when you know that you're seeing it through somebody else's eyes. And mm -hmm. so to a certain degree, the way that Mormon sets this up, I think is kind of interesting that Lemhi tells the story of his people to Ammon and explains where they came from. And then you have this flashback to Zenith, but we're not just reading Zenith's story in a, in a vacuum. We're reading Zenith's story kind of through Lemhi's eyes, right? Mm -hmm. Two generations later. And everything that we read, we think, okay, I already know something about what's going to happen later, right? I've already got some of the end of this story. And so I'm reading it in a different way than I would if I just, you know, if I just started I Zenith, right? It's I Zenith who my grandson just told you what's going to happen, you know, some of what's going to happen later. So anyway, I think that it, I think the story means something different to us when we're seeing it through somebody else's eyes. So that was sort of the one thing that occurred to me. Yeah, no, I like that. I thought the one thought I had after I've been listening to you guys talk is just that the Lord, I think of one by one and he does care about his people and where they are and where they're at. And that story, I don't know. I mean, yes, it, wherever chronologically but it had to be somewhere he wanted it told at some point so not necessarily having to do with the order but yeah. he did want us to know what happened to these people you know or you know how they stumbled upon him and all these things so that was my thought is just one by one that came into my head yeah so anyway that's a great question <laughs> i loved <you>. it <laughs> no a great question and great thoughts um so uh, interestingly um since since we do go deep into the podcast on this podcast yeah um the little heading that we have before the chapter heading yeah um, it says the record of zenith an account of his people from time they left the land of zarahemla until the time they were delivered out of the hands of the lamanites so when i read that <laughs> earlier last week uh, with Shelby, I said, uh, spoiler alert, right? <laughs> right? It, it's, it tells you what's going to happen. But that, um, while the chapter headings are generally not a part of the original translation, uh, well, right, the original record yeah. that Mormon put together, uh, this is, it was on the plates and it was translated by the gift and power of God uh, by the prophet Joseph Smith. Meanwhile, the, you know, the italicized chapter headings were added in afterward to kind of sum up each chapter. So it's, it's cool how that, um, that's the case here. Yeah. Yep. Love it. So beginning in verse one, uh, I Zenith, what do we learn 
about Zenith early on in these first, at least this first verse? Well, I have a question yeah. and I asked you this while we were reading it and it, and it kind of has to do with the first couple of verses, but um, so Zenith, it says that he was sent um, as a spy among the Lamanites, right? That he might, uh, what does he say? I might spy out their forces that our army might come upon them and destroy them. But when I saw that, which was good among them, I was desirous that they should not be destroyed. So I think we learn a little bit about uh his perception of the Lamanites, right, from what he saw and, hey, let's not destroy them. They, they do seem good, right, from what I was able to see. And then in verse two, um, he comes and he contends with his brethren in the wilderness, um, for I would that our rulers should make a treaty with them instead of going and fighting them. But we know later on in this verse that they do end up, they do end up fighting each other. And so I, I've, my question I forgot how I phrased it the other night, but I wonder why he was so desirous to make that treaty. And then others were like, no, we just have to go, we just have to go fight with the Lamanites. Like what, and it caused this such big divide. Like, why was that? And I feel like there has to be more than what we're reading here, like feelings and emotions and things like that. So I don't know. I, I would like to hear your guys' thoughts on what you might think have been going on in his mind versus his brethren's mind, because essentially they end up fighting each other and it's not good. <laughs> yeah. His opinion. I mean, there's a lot that's implied in just a few verses here, like you're saying, right? You, mm -hmm. you read it and you think, okay, what's the rest of the story? And all you get is what he tells you. So um, right. for example, you know, one example of something that you think there's gotta be more to the story than this. Right. He describes the leader who, by the way, the leader never gets named, right? The right. leader is described as bloodthirsty here. And I believe back in the book of Omni, when this was first introduced, it's very similar. Amalekai, I think, also calls him a bloodthirsty man. But anyway, calls him their leader, right? And so he's sort of ominously unnamed. Uh, or, or maybe just, you know, hey, we're going to leave him uh, anonymous because he's not a very good guy. So we're, you know, we're going to not embarrass him more by saying his name or something. But, uh, but, you know, you sort of get to this and you say, all right, he's described as austere and bloodthirsty. And by the way, his response to Zenith saying, these people aren't as bad as we think. Let's see if there's another way besides destroying them. His response is to say, slay this man, right? Uh, a member of his team, I, I want him dead. I mean, that's True. that sounds rather harsh, doesn't it? And yeah. you gotta think, I mean, the first question that came to my mind was, didn't Zenith have any inkling in advance that this guy was not a very good person that he was following, you know? I mean, there's, you know, there's so much in True. Zenith's narrative about regret about him sort of misjudging people and maybe being overly optimistic. And it seems like this is yet another example. It's just even the fact that he's following this leader who, who turns out to be a really violent and, uh, you know, and, and uh, dangerous person. And yet he's already followed him this far. And then obviously it comes to a crisis, right? I mean, don't you think there's even a little bit of, yeah. a little bit of regret there, I'm, I'm imagining of, you know, man, how did, how did we get to this spot? And that's even before some of the later things. Right. And that's uh, that last question you asked, like, how did we get here? That's what I came to at the conclusion of the end of the verse. I'm like, wait a minute, how did we get to this point? Like it yeah. just, it all of a sudden got there, but I appreciate your insights. It, it did answer a few of my questions. So you get you pretty quickly from Izena having been taught in all the language of the Nephites, which sounds an awfully lot like the first verse of the Book of Mormon, right? Right. Which, you know, seems like, okay, we're going to have a nice, uh, gentle beginning. And then within two verses, you know, they're, they're killing each other. Yeah. Yeah, it, and you know this this shedding of much blood. Um, Zenith describes, he says, for father fought against father, and brother against brother, and a, a true, you know, civil war, if you will, um, against these people, or between these people who, you know, they were going down to reclaim the land of their inheritance. And you have to, you know, all of this stuff that we've been talking about, if I, I, I try to remember the Lord in all of it too, if you don't think the Lord was there in the wilderness with them, impressing through the spirit on certain people, like 
hey, these are the things we need to do. And, and even impressing upon Zenith that, hey, you need to slow, the, slow your roll and get as many people with you to, to not go up against the Lamanites uh, to war, you know, that's, I, I believe that there's at least some evidence to, to support that, I think, especially since later on Zenith and his people are, you know, faithful and they do remember the Lord when trials come upon them. And so, you know, um, what, what else was I going to say concerning that? I thought, um, oh yeah, in, in so much that, you know, the, it says the greater number of our army was destroyed in the wilderness. So they had to return to Zarahemla and regroup and then make another journey down. So maybe that first journey and those people, especially the leader we talked about was not the right guy to set up in the reclaimed land of Nephi. And the Lord knew that and Zenith knew it. At least half of the people knew it because yeah. they sided, um, you know, give or take half, they sided with Zenith and the opinion that, hey, no, we, we need to fight against this guy. And so they went back to Sarahemla, they regrouped, and now they came back to, to recommence their reclamation efforts uh, more peaceably this time. Yeah, so just a couple of thoughts before we leave kind of that initial incident is, um, isn't it interesting, you know, there's clearly a lot of prejudice here, right? I mean, and, and I mean, it's sort of human nature, and we all see it probably not only in other people, but in ourselves, that when there are other people who you don't know very well, and you don't understand, and maybe they do things that you know, are confusing to you, you can immediately jump to, you know, having, you know, terrible uh, assumptions about them, right? That just happens to all of us. And it, and it can happen to groups of people, as we know very well, and, and obviously, as we see in the Book of Mormon. And, you know, a couple of generations later, the sons of Mosiah, when they're getting ready to go preach to the Lamanites, um, Ammon says in Alma 26, he says that all of their friends told them, what are you doing, you know? Why do you think that it's worth your while to go and preach to these people? These people are beyond saving, right? And, the, and, and he said that people actually said to him, all we can do is go destroy them. That's, that is all the, that's the only thing that can be done with these people. There is no saving them. And Ammon said, but we disagreed, you know? And Ammon and his brothers, you know, had this amazing missionary experience because they were able to get past the prejudices of so many of their people and say, no, no, no. These other people that are different from us they're not bad. They, you know, they have, they, they, you know, we actually can go and talk to them. And I think that this is the case with Zenith as well, right, is that he's with a group of people. And I would say, I would just sort of guess, this is maybe, maybe me speculating, that most of the people in that initial group had these kinds of prejudices that the leader had to say, look, we're here to destroy them. I think that seemed like that was the plan all along, right? Mm -hmm. Wipe them out, clear out this land that used to belong to our people, and we'll come in and take over. And Zenith, to his credit, actually as a spy, doesn't just try to follow orders, but actually takes, you know, takes the opportunity to pay attention. And I think it's a great lesson. I, sorry, I'm talking so long here, but the, the point I'm getting to is, I think it's a reminder to us all that the great antidote to prejudice is, is, is actually contact with people, right? If you, if you want to get over your false assumptions about other people, get closer to them, spend time with them, you know, observe them. And when you start to do that, just like Zenith, you'll start to see, like he said, that which is good among them. And you'll start to say, maybe all the stories that I've been told about these people aren't all true. Maybe there's more to them than the, you know, the prejudices that we have. So I really like that because it goes back to him being described. He describes himself as a spy. Yeah. And what do spies do? They get close to their alleged enemy and you know we have so many stories of when spies they they go native as <laughs> as i used that terminology with zenith you know he he went native he he saw that the people there were not that bad um and so his opinion changed about them and, and his, any indoctrination that was already in place uh, went away yeah he was able to overcome it I was just going to say, 
that reminded me of an experience I had when I moved into a YSA one time there were there were certain people that said oh don't talk to this person and all these prejudices around this person and I thought to myself nah I'm gonna find out for myself what that person is really like I mean I don't know and so I left all that behind and went and found out for myself what that person was really like and some things ended up being true some things ended up not being true but it just it's important when you're getting to know somebody or a group of people really that's an important part of ministering you can't come in with these assumed prejudices and think one thing and you know you have to let those go to really get to know that human being and be able to connect to them and build that relationship so I really appreciated that insight it was great but anyway, that was my last thought. Man, <laughs> well, on that subject, I'm sure I'll have other thoughts. <laughs> if if only our listeners could see just a big smile on my face. I just love the <laughs> the depth that we're going into here because uh, what can I say? So verse three, <laughs> we finally get to Zenith, uh, who he describes himself. He has, says, and yet. I being overzealous to inherit the lands of our fathers collected as many as were desirous to go up to possess the land and started again on our journey into the wilderness to go up to the land. But we were spent with famine and sore afflictions for we were slow to remember the Lord, our God, a few things immediately that come to my mind there. You know, he, this obviously is in retrospect. And so he sees that he was overzealous or over eager as I think it was described earlier. And so the, the very first of those things um, that taught him that were, you know, being smitten with famine and these sore afflictions. And he attributes it to being slow to remember the Lord, their God. I like those insights. I think um, when I think of slow to remember the Lord, our God, I think of just not looking for him in our day or like in the moments, like hmm. when we're in trials or we're wandering or whatever it is, even if everything is going good, I, I believe it's very important. Well, in first Nephi one twenty one, it says, you know, the tender mercies of the Lord are all over all his children. And I have built a testimony of those tender mercies, looking for them throughout my day, no matter what the day looks like. And I think that could have been a way that they were slow to remember the Lord, their God, Um, because it's really in the small and simple things that add up to great things in the end. And so when you stop looking for little things, um, then you don't realize the big things later, you know? And so I just thought of that. tender mercies and remembering the Lord our God because I know that when I stop recognizing those I stop recognizing other things and then there I am being slow to remember the blessings he's gave me and so it's important for me to look for those little things Kevin will hear me all the time say Heavenly Father loves me like I'll come home and I'll be like this is how I know he loves me because I don't know I got all green lights on the way home you know whatever it is something little that I know that he loves me and he cares for me so yeah, you know, isn't that amazing? I mean, we have, and, and, you know, at the end of the Book of Mormon, Moroni will talk about people who don't believe in the day, or believe that the day of miracles has ceased. Well, if you believe that there's no more miracles, chances are really good that you're missing things that are happening to you every day, right? Because, that, because if you just open your eyes, you will see these little miracles happening. And I mean, sometimes we call them tender mercies. Maybe the word miracle sounds a little dramatic for you know, some of the little things that happen, but uh, if we're paying more attention, we'll, we'll see them. And you're right. Maybe that, maybe that's what he means by slow to remember. Maybe the Lord is constantly blessing us and constantly trying to help us along our way. And we just, we just sort of miss it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, well, then we see that after many days of wandering in the wilderness, they pitched their tents um, in a place where their brethren were slain which was near the land of their fathers. Um, And then at this point, they come up uh, with four people, four of his men go into the city and to the king um, to know if they can possess the land of their inheritance. And that king was King Laman, correct? And so, yeah, he comes in. um, 
So he's following the plan, right? I mean, this is this is exactly the plan that uh, he had fought for before, that he had, you know, tried to persuade the leader to to follow before, and then the leader had turned the leader had turned on him, and they they had this terrible battle amongst themselves, and now he's back to do exactly the plan that he was that he believed in so much, and so he really was passionate about this, right? What we want to get back to the land of our fathers. We want to do it peacefully. I think these people aren't as bad as we believe. I think we can do this. And so far, so good, right? It actually right. seems, I mean, I'm sure after meeting with the king, he's like, yes, it's exactly as I thought, right? Right. It's true. I like that. I like that a lot because we learn later. There's it's a little. Quite, it's not quite as good as it seems. Yeah. yeah. And that's that's where the overzealousness comes in, you know? I was going right. to say, be careful how you label yourself because I think the word overzealous appears twice in the Book of Mormon. Once was in the last chapter with Lemhi describing his own grandpa. Mm -hmm. And I think the label stuck, you know, Zenith identified himself as overzealous and everyone's like, yeah, that, that adjective kind of fits, you know, <laughs> with the way things turned out. And yeah. uh, I mean, it's obviously not a very positive, not a very flattering characterization for himself. But, but I think looking back, this, the way that Zenith writes about himself really is filled with regret. He, he's you know, he's, he's trying to do so many things with the best of intentions, but I think he would like us to learn from some of his mistakes. And I think there's a lot in that word overzealous. I mean, I, do, do you agree with that? Does, what, what, what does the word overzealous mean to you? I know, you, you know, um, you, you, uh, Kevin, you just defined it, right? As over, what was over eager, over eager. Yeah. How, I mean, isn't that kind of just like part of human nature? <laughs> Don't we just do that? I think so. Yes, yeah. I think, I think, yes. You know, when we, if we look at the word zeal and then, yeah. you know, we follow through with like a zealot or one who is just so over the top with their beliefs, yeah. you know, they kind of, they catch hold of their, of a, a truth or a belief and they just run wild with it, right? Uh, to, to the detriment of themselves, to other people, to the, you know, uh, the ruin of nations even. And um, so to be overzealous, I mean, you, you're already just being zealous is yeah. already pretty intense to, to now be overzealous. Yeah that's that's something and and i think that i i would say that just from the context and in what we know so far and what we will learn that idea of being you know over the top you know carried away um is is probably you know although there's like you said it's not necessarily flattering but you know I don't know if we can necessarily hold, he, he just, he stopped looking deep, right? He stopped questioning. Questioning himself, right? Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, in this one circumstance of where he meets the king of the Lamanites, uh, King Laman, and it says, I went up under the king and he covenanted with me. Yeah that I might possess the land and uh, both the land of Lehi Nephi and the land of Shilom. And then he goes and he commands the people to depart out of the land. Yeah. And then immediately they start setting to work, uh, making this great effort to establish themselves, rebuilding walls, yeah. uh, become, becoming industrious, you know, laying roots. They're doing all the right things, right? I mean, it, it yep. looks like it's all going to work out at that point. And I mean, you can understand how he would he would say, hey, this plan, this is a good plan. This is working. Mm -hmm. I mean, as you were talking about um, zealousness and then overzealousness, President uh, Dallin H. Oaks gave a talk, I think it was at BYU quite a few years ago, called Our Strength Can Become Our Downfall. And what he does mm -hmm. is he goes through one after another really good things that people get committed to, and then maybe they just go a little overboard and maybe ignore some other parts of their life and lose balance and, uh, and it turns into a bad thing. And, 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 he, and at the end of the talk, by the way, he says, 
you know, in urging moderation, I need to be careful. I'm not saying moderation in all things because he said we shouldn't be, we shouldn't have moderation in our commitment to follow God. That we should be totally, you know, totally committed to with, you know, no holding back. But he said so many of these other things that we do as a result of following God, we just need to be careful to keep it in balance with other parts of our lives and that we're not, we don't get laser focused on one thing to the detriment of other things. I was going to say, it's almost like it was all consuming yeah. and that's where everything was going. You know, how can I make this plan work? How can I, and it, he, you know, it just kind of took up all that thought and didn't leave thoughts or room for anything else. Right. So. That's yeah. And this idea think. that I think you said, Kevin, about not being self-critical, I think that may be a red flag is if, <laughs> If you can't think of anything that could go wrong, maybe you need to think a little bit more about your plan, right? Uh, right. It, it's a good idea just to think, well, what if, you know? And I mean, obviously we're taught, it's part of being self-reliant is to be prepared for possible negative future events. And I think that's maybe right. something that Zenith was so caught up for all the right reasons, but maybe didn't plan as well. I mean, you see it, and I know we're jumping around a lot, so I apologize for that. But, <laughs> Um, You're good. You, you see it later, right? That they had to cobble together weapons to defend themselves when they were in trouble because they just weren't prepared. Right. Yep. Like anyway, that. where are we? <laughs> I think, well, we're around verse seven, eight, when they started yeah. beginning to build the city. But I feel like yeah. you have I, I to wanted to. <laughs> I wanted to draw on a few things that we had talked about just now. Yeah. So um, let me, let me, regain it or let me <laughs> overzealous yes no no um oh yes okay <laughs> <laughs> so it's interesting because we talked about a lot of things and they all really excited me so i'm i've got to unpack it again uh -huh. so with regard to you know he didn't zenith didn't uh take into consideration or or uh consider negative impacts of what they were doing, right? The consequences, rather. Yeah. It's interesting that, and, and not to also bounce around, but he then attributes, you know, he, he realizes like, I put myself and my people in a bad spot because now we're, like you were saying, Paul, um, they're defenseless, right? And then later, almost as if, you know, if, if he had foresight, um, he put his posterity in a bad spot because Limhi becomes this tributary king or he, sure he's a king, but he, they give half of everything to the Lamanites so that they don't destroy them. Yeah. And so, yeah, there's, you know, yes, it was great to go in and receive the land of their inheritance, but to no real um, benefit of themselves. So I just wanted to kind of dig down deep into that. And, and yeah, I think being self-reliant and also a wise steward of what you have, yeah. you have to be, you have to see and acknowledge consequences and, you know, plan for the worst case scenario. Uh, not that what they should have done first is get together all the weapons but you know, but they did. They began to rebuild the walls. They they repaired the walls of the city, so at least they didn't leave themselves wide open to attack. Um, well, let me uh, let me uh, speak in Zenith's defense for just a minute because it is pretty, and 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 partly because of the way that he writes, uh, he's kind of self-critical, you know. And so it, and he does, and I really do think that his tone is, I want you to learn from my mistakes. Let me show you some things that I did. I did make some mistakes along the way and I want you to learn from it. I really think that's why he uses the word overzealous. Mm -hmm. But uh, in, in his defense, you know, there, is, there are years and years of Nephite history and Mormon is really focusing in on this period for some reason. And if you think about some of the good that came from it, it's true, the Nephites ended up in bondage, both Alma's people and Lemhi's people had to escape and get back to Zarahemla, they basically abandoned ship, gave up all of, you know, Zenith's plan for all, at least as far as Zenith saw it, Zenith's plan sort of failed a couple generations later. However, if it hadn't been for Zenith's people, we wouldn't have had Abinadi's speech, and therefore we wouldn't have had Alma organizing the church at the waters of Mormon, 
which is a critical moment in, in Nephite history, right? Yeah. And we wouldn't have had all of the influence that Alma then later had on King Mosiah. Think about the facts, and maybe this is another, I mean, the very last thing that Zenith says in Mosiah 10 is that he chose one of his sons to be the king. Well, talk about another error of judgment because the son that he chose is the worst king hands down in Nephite history. So bad that when King Mosiah learned about this, King Mosiah said, we shouldn't have any more kings. But think about that. That is one of the outcomes of this group of, you know, this satellite group of people going away from the, the people in Zarahemla and trying to go at it on their own and learning lessons that then feed back into the larger group in Zarahemla. And so Mosiah and his people benefit a lot from both the mistakes and the successes of this group of people. And I think it's, I think Mormon focuses on them for that reason. This is a really significant experiment with some failures and some successes, but all of them were beneficial. I mean, I, I actually think, you know, overall to the Nephites, this was a very beneficial experiment. So I don't know if that's helpful or not, or what you think about that, but. I really appreciate that. And, and just a few days ago, I watched a, um, one of the church's inspirational videos or what, what used to be called Mormon messages uh, titled Wrong Roads. Oh, yeah. Narrated. Elder Holland? Yes, narrated yeah. by Elder Holland. And yeah. that's that kind of goes exactly what we're talking about where, you know, there there was this wrong road that was traveled, but really only for a short while before the certainty that the other road was actually the right one, yeah. you know, in, in, and we can look at that from an eternal perspective. We can also look at it from the period of just about 200 years that we're exploring in these, uh, these books. Um, but yes, this was an experiment that they went and they tried to reclaim the land. It didn't work out. It did end abruptly. Uh, but good things came from it so we can't you know we can't dismiss it entirely and yeah. and it goes back to what i said is that if you don't think the lord was there with them in the wilderness even when civil war broke out you're wrong he was there too it's hard to see it through all the blood but um the lord has always been there he always will be it makes me think of the scripture in second nephi 2 27 where it says all things are given them which are expedient unto man. And my mission president told me that because I was I, on one of my interviews with him, I was like, I don't get this or I don't, you know, I'm saying these things that have happened. And he's like, he told me, he's like, Sister Williams, everything is expedient unto you, what you go through, whether that's good, whether that's bad, whether it was your fault or someone else's fault, it is expedient for you. And so it was expedient for everything that we just talked about yeah so, anyway yeah well so moving moving along um we got to the part and so zenith here in verse 10 he calls out uh the king of the lamanites king laman he says it was the cunning and the craftiness of king laman to bring my people into bondage that he yielded up the land gave it over to us, he means, that we might possess it. Mm -hmm. It comes after, it, it came to pass, he says, after 12 years um, they had dwelt in the land that King Laman began to grow uneasy, lest by any means Zenith's people should wax strong in the land that they would, um, that they could not overpower them and bring them into bondage. And so, you know, Zenith then, you know, later on realizes, man, the only reason that King Laman even yielded up this land and had his people depart was so that we could go in, use our industry to cultivate the land and repair it and get it and to make it a choice land. Also that then he could put his thumb on us and, um, and that's exactly what then the, the Lamanites try to do. Um, he, and yeah, it's also interesting, you know, we, we've learned about this previously, and I've discussed it on this podcast before, 
in verse 12, uh, Zenith describes the Lamanites as a lazy and an, an idolatrous people. He says, therefore, they were desirous to bring us into bondage that they might glut themselves with the labors of our hands. Yea, they might feast themselves upon the flocks of our fields. And, you know, we just know that for one reason or another, you know, way back when, when Nephi um, first established himself and his people in the land, they, they weren't getting a lot of work done because of Laman and Lemuel and the, the attitudes of that group of people. They had to separate themselves so that they could um, create a choice land, a land that was not only, uh, you know, not only yielded a temporal substance, but a spiritual substance as well for the people. Mm -hmm. And that's what Zenith is really understanding and realizing now that, man, these people, they just want to take advantage of us. That, I mean, that must have just been a sad day for Zenith. Can you imagine when he when it really hit him, you know, because I think he concluded that King Laman had been uh, dishonest from the very beginning, right? That this whole thing was when he says there was the cunning and the craftiness. He says, okay, in retrospect, when it seems like we had this nice, sincere agreement and I trusted him and now I realize that he's betrayed that trust. I mean, that must have been a really hard time for him. It kind of gives us insight into how Satan and his cunningness works, right? And I think of this example on my mission. I remember, um, I think I've shared it on the podcast before. Or I've told Kevin, but I'll share it now. But I remember so specifically, um, we were just tracting and we went up to someone and we were talking to him and they were like uh what did they say they said oh i i went and i gambled a bunch of money and i or no i won the lottery is what they said or they won like a thousand or two thousand dollars and on this lottery ticket and they were like god is so good you know god is so great and then i'm sitting there and i'm like you know th that's great and i'm i'm having this internal conflict because i'm like well the lord tells us not you know, maybe we shouldn't gamble. We shouldn't be gambling our money. We should be wise stewards of it, right? So I'm over here like, how does this fit? And then I'm studying and I realize, you know, while it may seem good in the moment that it's that it's God or it's this goodness, which, you know, I think Zenith thought, oh, this is great. This is good. There's this long-term plan. I mean, Satan's really tricky. This long-term, let's just wait because what's going to happen with the example I learned of, of, you know, winning this lottery ticket, they're going to go and gamble again and waste their money. And then they're going to keep losing. And because the odds are against them, they're going to keep losing. They're going to keep losing. And then eventually they're going to come to resent God because why didn't you give it to me again? Like you did the first time. Mm -hmm. And I think, I don't know, you just see that you can see that trap that Satan will put in people's eyes. So it's really important for us to realize the intense of people's hearts try to discern is this person really trying to help me or like what are they trying to do what are they getting out of this like you know it's important to just listen to the spirit when you're when you're trying to make decisions with people in your life and things like that and so because satan will be really tricky because he's looking long term to get you he's you know and he'll tr he'll give you a little sense of security and then just wrap you in little by little right so Anyway, I thought of that example I learned on my mission because I just, I couldn't get over it. I was like, how, how does this work with the counsel that's been given? And then, you know, they're saying yeah. it's God and how does it all work together? And that's, that's what I came to the conclusion of. So, yeah, and you know, the, the opposite can happen so easily too, that people say, you know, people will say, well, the people who are being righteous, no good things are happening to them. But look, the people who are not following God's commandments are happier. And of course, the answer is that in the short run, it's not always, uh, it, you know, it, the, right. the consequences don't always match the actions. But like you're saying, okay, play this out over time. Let's watch how it, let's see if this is really sustainable. And, uh, and I think that's one reason why, um, why, you know, life lasts as long as it does, because it gives us a chance to say, oh, you know, maybe good that point. wasn't such a good idea. You know, it seemed like it was good. And in the short run, it seemed to have positive outcomes. But over time, I realized, that is not the, you know, that's not how to be happy. And, and so I, I think you're right about the, the lottery example. Sometimes you get a short-term reward, you might think it's good. And then 
you know, the, you, you may be able to just learn more about it and avoid the, the pain of, you know, maybe learn from other people and avoid the pain of having to learn it for yourself. But uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah, that's, that's good. Yeah. What I kind of take away from Shelby's story, which I have heard before, but I really like it. Like I like <laughs> the, I like how, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's good, but you're, you're, let me take it back to the scriptures. Cause that's where I yeah. wanted to go with it. Yeah. So it's interesting that at this point, Zenith could have in the past, if he said, man, God is so great. He led us back into the land and it was so easy. And he probably did, you figure. Yeah. I mean, because sure. it really did seem to all work out the way that he wanted it to. So he probably concluded this is this is exactly what I'm supposed to do. But if but if he had if he had done that, and then now when he finds out that the Lamanites are coming to uh, attack them, hmm. if he turned from God and said, Oh, you know, mm -hmm. this whole thing, this was a bad decision. And God didn't protect us. He didn't lead us correctly. Then they would have been utterly destroyed because it's only, I mean, just from the numbers that we go into here. So jumping through 15 and 16, this mm -hmm. is when um, the, the people fled um, from the Lamanites attack and they got together they they it says all manner of weapons which we could invent right he, yeah. they they that's it. They, themselves. they were not ready they right. they, they had to quickly scramble so from a pure physical preparation point of view they were they were in pretty rough shape but that's where verse 17 comes in right correct mm -hmm. is that where you're going yes <laughs> so they they gather up the arms that they can gather up but he says yay in the strength of the Lord, did we go forth to battle against the Lamanites? And it's almost like if they did, if it had been the strength, we know that if it, if it had been in the strength of their arm and their flesh, um, then they would likely either they wouldn't have been victorious or if they had, it wouldn't have really availed them anything. It wouldn't have profited them anything in the long term, right? Because they'd still only be uh, relying on themselves, their own strength. They, they go in the strength of the Lord against the Lamanites. He says, for I and my people did cry mightily to the Lord that he would deliver us out of the hands of our enemies. For we were awakened to a remembrance of the deliverance of our fathers. Mm -hmm. And that's cool you know that that's really cool that in the midst of trials you can remember what the lord has done and have faith that he can do it again he can do it for you in your day yeah uh, in your circumstances a couple of thoughts about that you know one is remembering their fathers well that's the whole reason why they went back to the land of nephi in the first place right and so i you know i i think about that this week and thinking well it's not surprising it what what's maybe more surprising is that they had to be awakened to remembrance of their fathers because the whole point of going back and establishing this colony i think was to connect to their roots to connect to their you know their ancestors and mm -hmm. so i you know maybe it, it took it took a huge uh, crisis for that to really take effect. But at that point they were primed for it. And it's like, you know, uh, our, our fathers turned to the Lord, our, our ancestors turned to the Lord and they were saved and we, and, and the same thing can happen for us. And that's maybe one of the antidotes to what, to what Shelby was saying a minute ago, right? If you are so, I'm gonna use the word myopic. <laughs> yeah. If you are so myopic, you know, that, that you're noticing something good that happened just a few minutes ago, and 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 that's all that you can see. Because I mean, maybe it's and and I sorry, don't mean to to make light of this person because it must be it must have been an amazing experience to win the lottery. But right. you know, just like we were saying about overzealousness before, right? That becomes so all encompassing that you sort of miss the bigger picture and the bigger perspective. Mm -hmm. But if you if you get a, one of the great things about getting involved in family history is your perspective increases. One of the great things about scripture study 
is you see you know bigger mm -hmm. picture and then you can start to see cause and effect on a larger canvas instead of just what happens from moment to moment right yeah yeah oh for sure 100 percent. and that i mean i love the talk by elder rasband that he gave it was october 2018 divine design it is yeah. my favorite talk because he talks about that perspective and realizing that the lord is he's putting people in certain places at certain times and certain things to everything's expedient for you to eventually it all works out for our good and end to return to him right to return back to our heavenly father and jesus christ and when we keep that perspective it's a lot easier to move forward in those trials because we know that there is hope at the end and there is a victory at the end when it may not feel like there is so yeah anyway but yeah right. and i and i really like that point that it could have gone very differently for zenith he could have you know, when something bad happens, you, you have a choice, right? How are you going to mm -hmm. react to that? Are you going to let it drag you down or are you going to turn to the Lord and and uh, and maybe let it lift you up? It's kind of up to us. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen examples in my own life of one turning away and one turning toward the Lord and, and it, it made all the difference in both those lives. And so yeah. it's true. That's a really good way to apply it to our own lives as well. So, well, at least in this uh, circumstance, the people of Zenith did prevail uh, over the Lamanites. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, you know, based on the numbers, it was quite that they were quite outnumbered. Um, at least that's that's how I take it. You know, in verse 18, it says we did go forth against the Lamanites. And in one day and a night, we did slay 3000 and 43 we did slay them even until we had driven them out of our land and then he mentions in verse 19 that he helps bury with his own hands his own dead um the the number coming to 279 and so yeah. the, oh sorry so just one oh, oh, no no you want to go ahead and finish your thought sorry. no no i i just you know based on that ratio either yeah the Lord really did preserve them or in, in my way of thinking, um, you know, the, the hosts coming against them were so numerous and they were able to hold out against kind of the onslaught that, yeah. that if they hadn't been in the strength of the Lord, it would have been just utter, uh, utter destruction. Yeah. It's hard to say all the reasons. I mean, it's it's very, uh, very unbalanced outcome. I mean, you know, it just occurred to me, maybe all that work uh, rebuilding the walls of the city came in handy. I mean, you know, yeah. I, I keep talking about them being unprepared, but they did at least have a walled city and maybe that helped. Uh, but, you know, what I find really interesting, and I read verse 19 differently, Kevin, that's what I was about to say. And I, my, and I myself with mine own hands did help to bury their dead. He uses mm. the... the he uses the word there, not our. And he doesn't even mention how many of his own people died until after that. And so I think, I think there's something really significant there. And, and you know what I actually see is at the beginning of the chapter, he says that he saw that which was good among them. And he even argued in favor of you know, having peace with them and tried so hard to have peace with them and actually you know, kind of did live in peace for how many years? What did it say, 12? 12. 12. And then you have this battle, which he didn't want to have. And isn't it interesting that he knows exactly how many Lamanites died? To the That's person. what I was going to say. It's, I was going to say that same thing. He knows the exact numbers, which is very interesting. And, and I mean, by the way, in the next chapter, when they have another battle, he's just going to say, we did not number their dead because there were so many. So maybe a different circumstance. But in this case, he knew exactly to the person how many people had died on the Lamanite side, his enemies. And I think part of the answer of why is I, with my own hands, did help to bury their dead. And in other words, it's a little, it's like it goes full circle. I saw that which was good among them. They were, you know, cunning and craftiness and the lazy and the idolatrous people. And he sees all these bad things now when they're coming after him. And at the end, it's like he still sees them as human beings who deserve a proper burial. And he himself is willing to go out there and be part of that. And, uh, and then as, you know, as the afterthought and as a way kind of probably of emphasizing how much the Lord blessed them, he gives the number of the dead on his own side, but only after he had talked about 
the you know the tragic loss of life on the side of his enemies. I really appreciate that those thoughts because I mean that's why we that's why we read the Book of Mormon together because <laughs> you know you can you can read it one way even your whole life potentially or at least for a long time and you know I'd have to come back around another time to to get it you know not not right but another perspective. another perspective or or more depth so Thank you so much. That's that's that is a fascinating insight there. Well, that's the end of the chapter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Do you have any final closing thoughts? Anybody about the chapter in general? Yeah. Let's go around with with some closing thoughts and and testimony. I was just going to say, I really like what you brought up, Paul, earlier about remembering their fathers and having that come, you know, back to them in that moment, and how important uh, family history and genealogy work is. I mean, it is in the scriptures. I mean, we see it. That's why they wanted to go to the land in the first place. It was the land of their inheritance, and so it just reiterates to me and builds my testimony of family history work and genealogy, which is weird. I, I did not think that would be, after our discussion, what stood out to me the most, but it is. And I, I guess that's my closing thoughts is just, I'm grateful for that insight you shared and, and the importance of knowing our history, our family history and helping them return as families with God again. So anyway, those are my final thoughts. <laughs> Brother Anderson. Sure. I, you know, I, I think my final thought, I think the thing that's sticking out most to me is something that, uh, that you said, Kevin, which, is, which I've, I've already mentioned, but I'll just emphasize it again, is um, when things don't go your way, you have a choice. And, uh, and you know, and, and that's probably very empowering to think, okay, I've just had a huge disappointment. Now, what am I going to do? Right. It's, it's a little bit of acting rather than being acted upon. And the choice that Zenith made was the right choice, which was this is discouraging. I'm now realizing that I've got my people into a tough spot. This is, you know, and King Layman, what a terrible, you know, I can't believe he did this to me and that his people are not as great as they seem to be. And that now I'm seeing a negative side. And yet, what does he do? He, he lets that adversity turn him to the Lord. And by, by not turning against God and by, um, by opening his heart to God, he's able to experience miracles in his life in spite of what he recognizes is a difficult situation he's got himself into and that the Lord really still is there for him. And I think that's, that's, the, that's the lesson I'm taking away from this is, you know, next time I have a discouragement, which probably happened in the next 24 hours or so, you know, can I just, you know, remind myself, hey, this is my chance to choose. Am I going to choose to turn my, you know, to, to let this turn me closer to Heavenly Father mm -hmm. and, to, uh, and to let it lift me rather than uh, drag me down? Thank you so much for that. I, I, I don't have necessarily any uh, closing thoughts other than what I mentioned earlier. I guess I'll reemphasize as well that the Lord, his hand and, and, you know, his presence can be found in the most difficult of, of times. And if we, if we do remember him, he can empower us to not only succeed. Sometimes we won't succeed in the way that we hoped though. Right. I mean, this was a, a fortune. Uh, I don't want to say fortunate now. I, I think it was in many ways, very unfortunate turn of events for Zenith and his people, but they have been preserved by the hand of the Lord, at least for now. And they get to continue to learn and progress in the way that the Lord has prepared them to do so. They, they get to, um, yeah, they, they get to, they get to go on, um, and and learn more things and do more things and we get to learn from it so i know that the things that we've talked about today uh, are are true principles in the gospel of jesus christ and i say that in the name of jesus christ amen amen, amen. well thank you 
This is very uplifting. I'm so glad you were here. I really am. I, I told Kevin, I was like, I am so pumped to hear all of what you have to say on this podcast today. I was like, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing all your insights because it, it really does show the strength that the Book of Mormon can bring and the knowledge that you've put into studying the Book of Mormon. I mean, it, it shows when you talk about it and you can see it and the connecting principles. I just, I love it. I love talking to you about it because you can see it. So. Well, thanks, you guys. Thanks for having me. It's, it's been fun to join you. And uh, this is a great thing that you guys do every week. Uh, I think it's I think it's awesome that the two of you do this together as a couple. I think that's really great. And uh, and, you know, I mean, this conversation is just another reminder to me that when a group of us get together to discuss the scriptures, um, you know, we can we receive we, we receive insights from the spirit, but we kind of you know, bounce them off of each other, and it helps us all in that process of growth. And I think that's a that's a great process. You know, um, years ago, I heard I, I'll just say I heard Neil A. Maxwell say uh, that it, that you can have confidence that as you search the scriptures, you will never plumb their depths. I think that was the phrase he used, and I think that that really is true. That uh, it just you know, the scriptures will constantly help us in this process of learning more and more as we go back and and study them and. And try to dig a little deeper, and and it'll it, there will always be further to dig. So anyway, thanks again for uh, for having me and letting me uh, spend this time with you. Yeah, thank you. Until next time, <laughs> bye y'all. Bye.